I'm Ashley. And I'm Alicia. And we are Murd Nerds. Welcome, fellow Murd Nerds. Thank you for joining our little Indiana murder cult that we've started. We love, love, love all of the support we've been getting from you guys. If you are new here, my friend Alicia and I alternate telling stories of the murdered, the missing, the mysterious, <laughs> and whatever else strikes our fancy, or yours. Uh, we've gotten some good requests, so just keep those coming. We do add them to our list with like maybe a little star reminding us to pander a yeah. little bit, you know. Uh, but seriously, we hear you, and we're doing our best to include your requests in our lineup. So um, are we... Am I just, are we doing a question this week or you want to just talk just about jump our right week? In. I, that's up to you guys. You want to talk about your week? Did um, you have a good week? You know what? I do want to say something. I knew it was going to be a good day today because everybody in the Dollar Tree parking lot was on the same page as far as parking goes. You know that never happens. Yeah. I pulled in and I was like, these angles of these cars <laughs> There's are no so lines. in sync. There's no this lines. This is beautiful. That so, is a good day. Yeah, I was like, you know what? It's going to be a good day, a good recording day. And then I did get a splinter in my butt after that, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> so Jeremy, I sat on my day? stairs, my apartment stairs, and I got a splinter in my butt. Oh, okay. How was your day? My day was fine. <laughs> I worked a half day, took the boy to get his uh, his uh, every two month trim and groom and bath and not he his looks, real boy, his his dog. <laughs> my favorite son. <gasps> oh my! my favorite. He's, my, no, no, he's I mean, my favorite out of your sons too. <laughs> my favorite child. I should say that. Oh my! I, God. I catch so much grief over that. <laughs> but yes, he's looking. Uh, he's looking all stunning and Dapper. and gorgeous. He's a sweet boy. And he's got his. Uh, they gave him mm-hmm. a little bandana that has Indian motorcycles on it. It looks Aww. so cool. It won't last. I can't wait to go inside and give him loves. Does he chew him? His no, mom doesn't leave him on. Leave him <gasps> on. She takes him off. Bobby. I know. What about you, Alicia? Um, my daughter's birthday was Wednesday. My youngest. She's two now. That's so wild to me. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy. Throwing parties for four kids is nuts. So I've just been like, that that's busy, overworked, and undersleeped, and. Undersleep. Undersleep. <laughs> Underpaid. <laughs> Underpaid. Yeah, all of sure. them. All of the above. <laughs> and then today, you saw the picture. Jeremy didn't. Did, or no, you saw the picture. I, saw you I was like, what Excuse picture? Uh, then I posted on Facebook that they got into uh, Mr. Bubble's phone. So that was all over my floor, all over them. I'm just like, let me clean the bathroom, please. Well, at least your floor was clean after that. Right. Uh, no, it's sticky. You know how soap is. It's sticky. Oh, yeah. It looked like Even a mops. mess. Oh, it was everywhere. Yeah. All over our new couch. Yeah, I saw it on the couch. Uh, but um, that's kids for It's you. hard to believe that, you know, your daughter's two, my granddaughter, her best friend is yeah. two. Oh, yeah. It's going to be two in May. But Yeah, they're exactly four weeks apart. It's hard to believe that it's been two years already. Yeah, they were so funny last night because Jess and Skylar asked if Cora could come over because Sora wanted to play with her. And then I went over there to pick her up and she didn't want to leave. And mm-hmm. Jess was like, oh, we're going to get Sora in the bath. And Cora's like, I want to take a bath. So I then did, they both got in the bath together. 
<laughs> I did see the video of Val helping Skylar build the cabinet. That Wasn't was so that sweet. sweet. Yeah. She loves her uncle Skylar. Oh, That's my. her favorite person. They're adorable. She was, she, she was absolutely cute in that video. It's like, I can't see. And then she moves and she put her arm on the drawer and the drawer moves. She goes, I have to be careful. Was, she is. Oh, it's dope. She's something, something else. else. I yeah. love Val. She's a pistol. That's for <clears throat> sure. Um, I so I've been listening to the United States of Paranormal. Oh, no, you've been checking it out. Yeah, I am so excited for that. Jeremy, you want to talk about that? The United States of Paranormal is uh, mine and Alicia's new little side project. We are teamed up with my nephew from Texas. Logan and his crew, uh, Matt and Bose, and we just released episode zero, our introduction. Mm-hmm. We we put two of the two of the episodes together. They they did one and we did one, and and I'll tell you right out the gate, the response on it is is pretty darn good. Yeah, we've got it's on, wild. Yeah, and of course Logan's just been just been a machine. He's killed it. Yes. He's got all the he's, he's gotten all the art out. He's, I was gonna say he's on top of that group chat too. I try so hard to keep up, but he's just like boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah. It. Oh, you want to check out our merch? Oh, you just check out our merch store and yeah. Oh, I've seen it. I was in there. I was just like, yep. oh damn. Okay. Yeah, he looked at the merch store a while ago. Yeah, he said as soon as you guys put it up. I was yeah, like, he's yep. killing it. He's got oh. everything. Just yeah, the logos down. and the stickers and the t and the all the t shirts and merch and. And uh, yeah, we did talk him into sending us a couple teachers. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Logan. Yeah, the the artwork is killer, astounding. It is killer. I am all for it. I love it all. And he's working it. He's working with uh, Matt and Bose, and they have access to the big studio down there. Yeah, I think he sent some videos of that. Even yeah, it's wild. Yeah, they're they're just they're yeah. slaying. I'm oh, super yeah. excited. I'm super excited. And the photo shoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, everything's we so need cool. to do that. I know. We, I yeah. feel so lame that we haven't done any of this stuff. Well, but so yeah, if anybody is interested in anything spooky, paranormal, you know, ghost stories, cryptids, we're hitting it all on the United States of Paranormal. We're available on all streaming platforms. We've we've got that. Uh, I feel pretty good about that. I, yeah, I got them. I got them pretty quick this round. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Yes. And social media, you can find us um, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter. If you can't find the United States of Paranormal, it's kind of a mouthful. So look up Tusop. Yeah, I love the shorthand. Tusop. Tusop. So yeah, that's our new little Too Hot Tusop. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so Logan's and his crew's got a one coming out. They're going to do the first episode and then mm-hmm. we'll take the. Is that we'll going to be. Is it weekly? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Wednesdays. I, really I, need, it. Wednesdays. I need it weekly. Yeah, it's that good. works for me. It's going to be weekly. <laughs> and then the call guys. If yes. you like movies and TV shows and uh, anything like pop pop culturey, yes, mm-hmm. uh, you can listen to them on all streaming platforms. Um, they release on Mondays. Yes, on they release podcast on Mondays, video podcasting on Tuesdays. Yes, right. Yes, and then your pride the- and joy, Golden Image, Golden <laughs> Image, Golden Image podcast. We uh, this is really cool, and I don't. I don't know if you guys have listened to um, what I've been doing, but Golden Image Podcast was originally going to just be bi-weekly mm-hmm. because we just wanted to do every other week. In the middle of all this, I decided why not release some of the old episodes of Golden Image Radio on the yeah. weeks that were off. So I started going back through. I mean, these are all on DVD. 
So I kind oh of rip God. them all down <laughs> into into MP3s and then go back in and edit them because we know we just kept them for for the sake of having them. Yeah. And so I got to go back in and do some audio checks and some you know different stuff in the editing bay, but. I did my first one with my friend Mike Hilton, which aka Fruit Pie, mm-hmm. and it was, it was really cool because I reached out to him to to let him know that I was doing it, and he immediately got back to me. And he has been such a great support of the bands and everything that I've done over the years. And he was super excited, and he was super excited to sh- to show his son. Oh, and his son listened to it, and he was he was so, yeah, it was really it was cool. a really good episode. That's so, so touching. In the midst of all this, he'll be down to do an actual episode of Golden Image Podcast. With oh us. my God. So, yay. what, 13 years later, Mike will be back in the studio to hang out with us. So, that's How exciting. Fun. Yeah. Are you guys going to go like venture out and do something in cover? Or are you guys I, just going to kind of. I did that. That was my first uh, kind of bringing back the old music side of it because we have been running around just kind of doing odds and ends of restaurants restaurants mm-hmm. was the big thing we did the casinos we did you know a couple other things but i wanted to bring back the music side of it mm-hmm. and with with getting mike set up and then i brought in uh an old friend of mine john lyons and and we're recorded way way ahead at this point so john's already been here done his episode done his episode where we just talked to him and then um he actually stayed for another episode while we discussed the Evil Check Brewery and what did I say that other place was? Hop, um, Hop Station. Yeah. We discussed those and he stuck around and talked to those because he's a real foodie, you know, him and yeah. his wife go out and go out to all these places. So in the midst of all this, I was at Bar 13 in Pearson to see my buddy Scott's uh, son and uh, stepson play. They did an acoustic night. Mm-hmm. The owner of that bar is uh, Jared Pagan, who uh, used to be the lead singer of Surface. Yeah, that's a cool name. Yeah, we, everybody just calls him JP. It's yeah, he's this dude is badass. Period, straight up. He is an outstanding musician. He's an outstanding person. And he owns what bar? In bar thirteen. Hmm. So I told him I was doing. I was going to do an episode of Golden Image on the bar. We review the bar. But I said I'd love to chat with you again. It's been a while. He's like, anytime. And I was like, let me take the mobile and I'm going to the bar and I'm going to do a podcast, record a podcast from inside bar 13. Awesome. And he's like, let's do it on a Wednesday night when I have an acoustic act and we'll get the acoustic act in on the podcast. So it's just going to be, we got to get it all set up yet, but I'm pretty excited about going on. Yeah, it's like blending, blending everything together. I like yep. that. Bringing That's it good. all back. Good for you. Yeah. But uh, my, the next old Golden Image Radio show is going to be with my friend Stillframe, the band Stillframe, some of my old band members from Booty Rain. And this episode is just nothing but just shits and giggles. <laughs> everybody rats. Those are my everybody. favorite kind. Yeah, you'll love this one because it, sure it is just banter for two hours. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. We've got Sorry, a lot that was going kind of a, on. That was kind of a long, no, yeah, long no. intro. Sorry. We've got a lot going on over here, and we're fucking excited about it, and we want to tell everybody. Yeah, so. this is just really blossoming. Yeah, Golden Mojo Music, Golden Mojo Entertainment uh, with the four with the four shows, and uh, they're all just, I mean, they're all trucking right along. Yeah, so. four so far. So far. Yeah, so <laughs> who far. Knows, who I, knows what's brewing up in I that I may noggin. have to pump some brakes here and, and let these kind of settle in before I... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I might be a little exhausted. Too many ideas, though. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm very fortunate with the call guys because Gunner and Colton are pretty much doing their own thing. He's mm-hmm. doing his, all his own editing and all that stuff. So it's it's under the umbrella. Yeah, Gunner's mm-hmm. killing it. Yes, he is. He's having great. a good time. And I'll be on the episode 10 whenever that comes out. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I heard that during the Star Wars episode. The Emperor. The, yeah, Emperor, the Emperor is coming to the show. I haven't listened to the Star Wars episode yet. You'll like it. It's pretty good. Even Roy was listening, and he doesn't listen to podcasts, but he was listening to it when I was, and he's like, yeah, yeah I agree, and talking about, like... Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't listen to podcasts probably because he doesn't listen to podcasts. If you listen to them, you're going to get hooked. Exactly, because he listens to like MCU like breakdowns and stuff all the time. Oh, so yeah. I'm like, you oh, would love it. But gosh. on YouTube, I'm like, you would love a podcast. So listen, listen to Eric Voss? He listens, I can't remember what the guy's I name is. I love Eric Voss and his breakdowns. They're the best. I think he, he's with New Rockstars or whatever. I can't remember what the guy's name is. He's really popular. And I'm grumpy at him because I, I reached out to him to get uh, a video of him saying happy birthday to Roy for his 30th because I did a compilation uh-huh. of a bunch of people and stuff and he never got back with me. Oh. I'm like, whoa, you're not that cool. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Roy likes you though. Uh, totally. <laughs> you got a good a good lineup for him, right, though? Yeah, I got the, I mean, I was in it. I got, that's, um... that's pretty fucking good, <laughs> I'd say. The, Were you wearing I even danced. shirt? I danced. She did. Wow. I there was music, there was theatrics. I edited. Yeah. She did. There was greenery. It was a production. All right. It was a whole theater performance. It was. I got the narrator from Select. Dragon Ball Z um cuz that's his like all-time favorite anime. I got uh Brock Lesnar. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he made him a video. Wow. Yeah, so uh the voice actor for um Dragon Ball for Goku. Um, he sent a tweet message that I, I put it in there. Uh, Taylor Lautner. Mm. Taylor Lautner? I don't remember that one. <laughs> Roy has this like thing with Taylor Lautner that I've created. It's his arch enemy. And I just... <laughs> oh, it's his arch enemy. <laughs> I made it to where it's like an AI thing where like... <laughs> My ma- his mouth moves when I talk, and I was like, "Hey, Roy, what's up? This is Taylor Lautner." <laughs> just... oh, so, yeah. it wasn't actually the real Taylor Lautner. No, it was because just I was like going to stop the podcast and high five you for that. I was no. like, "How the hell do you get Taylor Lautner?" Well, Which... cameo. Have you ever heard of cameo? Uh-huh. Yes, I yeah, have. Yeah, I mean, you could, there's a lot of people. I mean, they're expensive, some of them, yeah. but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I got I... Chris Catan for. Um, my Aunt Jody's birthday. Nice. I like I like Christine Aguilera in case you ever. Oh, heard. okay. <laughs> uh, she's probably not on there. She's too famous. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe a little bit. <laughs> she's like fifteen thousand dollars, please. <laughs> He's like, what do I get for my fifteen thousand dollars? <laughs> you get a video, and you know what? Chris Kattan was like picking stuff out of his teeth, so I don't think they're all that professional about was it. Was he really? You could just tell that he had like just eaten something he wasn't like literally picking stuff out of his teeth but i don't know it was like you could have combed your hair and like taken a swig of water it was pretty bad <laughs> i love chris Catan. it might be a whole part of the thing i don't know yeah, but i was wondering if that was like his it, gimmick uh, i don't know it didn't seem like it <laughs> i'm not dissing on him though it was it was worth the money she is so before we get um into this i wanted to do a couple of corrections um, in part one, I had said that Don and Robert got married five years after losing their, I wrote sources, but I met spouses and it was only actually a few months. It wasn't, I mean, you guys both know that, yeah, but was... none of us, none of us caught it before the release. So 
Sorry. This is a lot. No, it's so much information it on this is. case. It's not crucial in the no, case. It's no, not. it's not. But I know weird. that people kind of like, you know, like I, I notice if I know something and they say it wrong, I don't like write them in. Yeah. But well, I think some people do. The explanation for Dawn was is that she had the two, the two, um, the three girls and that she was just kind of, you know, her and Bob hit it off. Yeah. But they just kind of, she wanted that support and that oh, yeah. stability. That, yeah, for yeah. sure. And that's kind of why it was so quick. So another mistake that I made in part one is all of the J names were and still are yeah, not saying I'm not going to make mistakes in part two. People um, were messing me up. So I think I said that um, Jessica was supporting Jeff and it's not Jessica. It is Jackie that supports Jeff. It's his uh, full sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, I dropped out of college, everyone. OK, so I'm not a. <laughs> Master. She can't read. At least you went. I There's didn't too even go. many J's. <laughs> okay, so like I mentioned last time, um, if you want to know everything, go listen to Counterclock's third season. Uh, I did add some extra sources as to not be like too biased because it is very geared towards Jeff's kind of innocence mm-hmm. uh, from the most part, and I didn't. I also didn't want to follow like Dahlia's story too closely. Let her, you know, her own thing. So, but I'm not a journalist, so I did, I relied heavily on that for a lot of, most of my information. But a few more sources that I did add was oplaw.com, law.justia.com, which was like some court transcripts that I read, uh, justiceforjeff.org, mycrimelibrary.com, and then the True Crime Guys did a podcast on it too, Mm -hmm. so I listened to their episode as well. Um. And if you are a follower of this case, I know that episode one was a little frustrating. Uh, but I wanted to kind of open the story with kind of just what they knew back then and what was kind of just going on back then. Um, I know I talked a little bit about the fu- tunnel vision of the cops and like odd goings ons, but um, it was kind of hard. Like I just wanted to keep you just want to keep talking, you know, and you oh, have yeah. to you have to draw a line somewhere. It's hard to pick where to draw that line. So. Anyway, right now, in part two, we're going to see just how bad, you know, the the cops' tunnel vision was and how they were working backwards just to convict Jeff. Um, We'll talk about some of the things that were going on in the background that were not really brought to light until right now. Or not right now, but recently. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the Pelley's past connections in Florida, how everything might add up to a totally different theory on how Robert, Don, Janelle, and Jolene were killed and who may have done it. So, Jeremy. Yes. I know you were ready to jump out of your skin during the whole time during part one. Very much so, yes. <laughs> so I found out after we recorded it that this is Jeremy's rabbit hole case. We answered that question mm-hmm. in like, what was like episode 13 or episode 15 or something. Um <laughs> Yeah, which episode was that? I don't know. I don't either. But <laughs> um, my, my memory's trash, so I totally forgot. And also, I think you said Pella murders. Pella? Did we talk about that? No. It's, I could be wrong. Pella? We might have. I might have said. I yeah. think it was just because we hadn't, it hadn't yeah. really been into yeah. the, when we recorded that episode. So um, anyway. I didn't put two and two together until we recorded part one. So, yeah, sometimes I get a little overexcited, and, and, and you know, 
the, the words don't work. <laughs> <laughs> words are hard. Words are hard. Pella is very similar to Pelly. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, let's get into it because there is a shit ton to cover. Well, we're going to try to kick in with you, but we're going to let you have at it. All right, awesome. I'm sure most of us know now because it's all over the news and has been that Jeff Pelly got approval for an evidentiary hearing that was held earlier this month. So right now we'll discuss some of the shit that has come out since this case kind of came back into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. So nothing evidentiary from like a police standpoint had changed in the what, however many years. 30, it, like, 33. No, since he got arrested, like oh. from the murder to arrest, it was like what thirteen or yeah, I think it was thirteen yeah, maps. Um, so nothing really had changed. It was kind of more political. There was Chris Toth. I don't know what he became, attorney general, district attorney, something, something on in the prosecution. Um, he had vowed to close this case if he got elected, and he did get elected. And I mean, he closed the case. Mm-hmm. He, he stuck to his word. So we are going to change courses here for a bit because we're going to dive into what was happening um, before the murders to really understand why Jeff Pelly's name is kind of gaining more attention or had has already gained more attention. So for a decent chunk of the episode, we're going to talk about three families. We're going to talk about the Pellys, duh. Um, then we'll talk about the Hollies. And finally, we'll talk about the Dawsons. So we'll discuss how their three worlds came together in Florida and how one of the families seemed to kind of rip its way through the other families. Mm-hmm. Heavy emphasis on seams, though, because I'm not pointing any fingers. I don't want to yeah. get, I don't wanna get sued for defamation. Well, there's no no solid... Yeah. Con- yeah. The connections... You, you feel like the connections are there, but there's no solid evidence to prove that those you know, all that stuff's there, so... Yeah. Robert Pelly was working in Fort Myers at the Central Processing Corps at Landmark Bank in Florida when he and Don got married just months after both of them lost their spouses. Don uprooted her family. I think they were from Ohio. I don't remember. I don't remember either. It's not. It yeah. So they uprooted to join Robert's family in Cape Coral, Florida. So they once again both had a whole family unit. Robert was successful in his career at the bank while Don was comfortably raising the children from home with his help, obviously. The newly formed Pelly family were members of the Church of Nazarene, which is like evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is where they met the Holly family. Specifically, I think Robert met Phil Holly, mm-hmm. which is the patriarch of the family. So, yeah, the three of us know who the Holly family is, but for people who don't follow the case, you'll find out soon enough. Where Robert worked, he was like a computer guy, for lack of a better word. Landmark Bank was huge. So I'm pretty sure all of the transactions went through. I think it was like Florida-based. So all the transactions went through that core processing center yeah. that he worked at. So he saw a lot. He saw names, businesses, transactions, like numbers and all. Operation Greenback was an investigation in the early 80s by, like, the IRS, the FBI, probably a bunch of other DEA, bunch of people. Um, They were looking into the Fort Lauderdale Division of Landmark Bank. 
The investigation found that the bank was laundering money for Colombian cartels, I believe. So all these transactions had to go through the processing center in Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. So Robert Pelly, again, is kind of directly connected to... He's seeing all this stuff. Yes. So um, his direct involvement to the laundering of money is, like, iffy at best. But a pastor named Michael Ross from the Church of Nazarene told Counterclock that... Bob told him about, like, sketchy shit going on at the bank, um, that people or at least – or that the people or at least some of the people behind it were, like, his friends, his church friends. Mm -hmm. Which seems to be why Robert went to him and not, like, his superiors at the bank or even, like, authorities. So he also confided confided in the pastor that he was scared for his family and that he wanted to, like – Get out of town. Yeah, uproot. So, yeah, it seemed like he didn't really want to be involved, or at least not anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but he had to have some kind of knowledge that something was off for a while because he left the bank in 1986 and the Greenback Investig or what, Operation Greenback started in 84. So, if the IRS, everybody's following them around, they, he would have known before them, I would think. That something was off. Well, I mean, when it comes to investigations, they have to have a lot of proof. So it could be years and years and years. Yeah, that's that what I'm saying. So Robert had to have known that there was that shit was going down because there was they had been. Yeah. What's that called when like you get knowledge of like stocks plummeting? Insider trading. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind yeah. of like that. Like he left the bank before he could be taken down, allegedly. I don't know. No, he left two years after the... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah, he knew like the investigation was going on. He didn't want to be a part of it because I'm assuming they're thinking, oh, he's our friend. He's seeing these things. He's thinking, oh, my friends, you know, they wouldn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I'm just going to let this go through. I'm not going to flag it. Mm -hmm. But then he's like starting to get sketched out because, you know... The investigations going on mm-hmm. with the government. Well, and here's the you know, the transactions are being made from his friends to whom you know maybe that's where the sketch comes from. That maybe that's some stuff that he didn't want to be involved in at all. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Beyond just <laughs> he, if he had knowledge that the government was looking into this as right. an investigation, I mean that would be a huge, huge investigation. You'd go to prison for a long time. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. You can you can talk more. If it ruins my story, we'll just cut it. No, <laughs> <laughs> I want your story to be good, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Okay, okay. In 1988, just months before the Pelly family was slain, a land developer named Eric Dawson, uh, out of Fort Myers, I believe, was found murdered by hog hunters. The hog hunters did not murder him. They found him. <laughs> um, he was just off of Corkscrew Road in Lee County, Florida. He was in um, it, what appeared to be an intentionally uh, dug shallow hole with, I think he had cinder blocks and like quick creep or some kind of quick mix concrete. He was shot with a twenty-two pistol execution style. Police also found 
um, his car, Eric's car, they knew that he didn't drive it because the seat was like really close to the steering wheel and he was a bigger guy. So, mm-hmm. but ultimately the car was clean. It didn't really give them anything. And I don't know if they're just assuming. It's just like in the Burger Chef murders and like, oh, her driver's side door was locked, but her passenger side door was open. It's like you can do that after the fact of anything. Yeah. So I don't know why they're just that's assuming such like a, the... the most obvious answer, which was probably right, but. My well, mind is like, oh, you could have I could have moved that seat up. Or, and they did mention, I think maybe they put the seat up to make sure they didn't leave any evidence behind. And that's why it was up as well. So or if you were getting something out of the back of your car, you move your seat up. I don't remember who it was, but I distinctively remember somebody in my childhood. Whenever they would get out of their car, they would put the seat all the way back as far as they could go. And yeah. then would get out of the car, and then they'd get back in the car and move their seat back I up. think that's a habit because a lot of cars in the late 80s had that seatbelt thing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you just, like, get out of the way of your – so you just jam your seat back. Yeah. Hmm. I think – uh, I'm sorry. No, his was all the way up. I think it's important to say that they found his car at the airport to – I don't. I don't know why. I think that's a really, really important. Yeah. Oh, like he might have fleed or something. Well, or, that was or trying to flee. That was originally what they thought was what Eric had actually left and and was he was hiding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I think that might come in somewhere a little bit later, in my thought process was that when they found Eric Dawson's car, it was at the airport. Mm, okay. Yeah. Just, okay. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I want you to add that stuff in for sure. Okay, let's see. So Eric was a businessman. He was privy to the real estate boom in Florida. And at the time, he wanted his slice of the action. He had some real estate failures in the past, even filing for bankruptcy and being fined $30,000 for um, misrepresentation to investors. He was involved in many corporations and took investments from tons of people. He was buying up properties like crazy but with that being said, there really wasn't a way to tell where all this money was coming from. So some were saying that he had shady, shady dealings and owed some scary people money, which was probably why he was murdered. I guess he had a lot of like schemes going on um, to make money. So the cops had their work cut out for them between like all the rumors and combing through all his finances. They had to try and make connections and blah, blah, blah. Eric had to obviously do banking. And all of his banking was done through the Landmark Bank, which all those transactions and transactions went through Bobby's bank. Yeah. Phil Holly owned the Fort Myers Credit Bureau. And the bureau was on Eric. Eric owed the bureau the thirty thousand dollar fine that he had received. So he went there to like set up a payment plan and struck up a friendship with Phil Holly. So Phil and his sons ended up investing a bunch of money into um, Eric's real estate ventures. So police say that Eric's wife, Susan, had no clue about or they don't think she had any clue about um, any of his shady dealings. Um, She gave police the name of Eric's top investor and she told them if something was going on in real estate in Florida, he would know about it, which that was Phil Holly. He had been Eric had been reported missing, I'm assuming, by Susan. Uh, prior to his body being found, when he was last seen on September 9th, 1988. So after he went missing, Susan trusted Phil Holly um, as a close friend and a, um, a 
big investor in Eric's uh, business to help clean out his office and take care of his finances. Bill Holly and his family were very supportive of Susan and her sons after Eric went missing, even helping them in the initial search because they thought that he had just gone missing. But the Dawsons say that the Holly family stopped coming around immediately after Eric's body was found. Phil Holly and his family business dealings quickly came under investigators' radar. Um, they found out that just eight days before Eric went missing, Phil and his family had filed what is called a quick claim deed. So that gave ownership of a multi-million dollar piece of land that was owned by Eric to one of Phil's companies. Mm -hmm. This document needed signatures from both the current owner and the person whom the property is being transferred to. So one can assume Eric's signature was on this document, but since Eric never mentioned giving away a $2.5 million property to the Hollies, investigators had suspected that it was a forged signature or a fake signature. So this along with the fact that after Eric went missing, Phil made himself president of one of Eric's ventures, um, Back Bay Condo Club. Police got warrants to search the Hollies residence and the credit bureau office in Fort Myers. So in the credit bureau, they found, or yes, in it, they found tons of photocopies of Eric Dawson's signature. So they, the Hollies had used this. I say the Hollies because they have, I'm not even sure how many kids they have. They have, I know that at least three of the sons are involved in Eric's businesses, but I think there's more than three sons. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, it's a blanket statement for sure. So the Hollies had used all these photocopies of Eric Dawson's signature to make numerous copies of the quick claims deed that they eventually filed to gain ownership of Eric's land. This showed that the deed was not a real deed at all, but in fact a copy of the original deed that they masterfully copied his signature to. Wow. Which, yes, it was masterfully because it was accepted by the clerk at the Lands Records office. Can you imagine that? That seems like that would not be able to happen. Not be able to happen. <laughs> Never. Man. I am as I was as I was listening to that, I was always curious exactly how they did it with a photocopy. Yeah, because right? there's always that well, shadow. Well, they said yeah. it was like little clippings. I can make a copy with like something over something. I mean, and you can't tell. It depends because our copier is probably from the late 80s, maybe early 90s. So, I mean, there's ways. See, I had like two thoughts. One was uh, one was that you exacto knife the like thing out and then just put it on there and then make a copy of that. You know what I'm saying? You exact yeah. knife it down to so it looks like a signature. Or the other one was like use carbon paper and just go over top of it. Yeah. Oh. Those yeah. were a couple of my ideas. But. I was thinking, uh, oh, what are those called? It's like a light source, a light table. Yeah. Or oh. you just oh, yeah. you, you copy. Just That's what I was it. thinking. I'm like, that, that would have made more we're, sense. We're all sitting around, how would we copy this yeah, guy's right, signature? Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they obviously, they tried... A bunch of different things because there were tons and tons of copies. Right. So they also found bags of like quick mix cement at the credit bureau, which they did seize due to the way Eric's body was found. But they didn't 
the cops said they didn't necessarily find it odd because Phil and his sons had run like 17 businesses and they all seemed to like bleed together, like bleed into, you know, they mixed everything together. Is that a concrete joke? (laughs) I was going to say like quick Crete and then I was like, and I'm going to tell you quick Crete doesn't last for very long. It absorbs so much much moisture. Yeah, it's definitely not for anything long term. No. Well, no. Just having the bags. Because it, you have to use that stuff like immediately. Because oh, we put a fence saying. up. We had so much quickcrete and for the poles, the posts. And then we went to get them out. We put our fence up over the summer. Were they already concrete? They were already concrete. Oh, my God. A month ago when we were cleaning out our garage because Roy was going to go set one of the posts and it was just, just a like, solid. Like a bag of ice? You can't like no, bang it? No, it's done. Wow. And it was just sitting in our garage absorbing moisture all winter long. Isn't that wild? Is it expensive? You guys had to buy all night? Uh, I think it was like 12 bucks a bag. Oh, that's not bad. that much. It might be a little less. That's not bad. No. We had a lot of it though. That's the bummer part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now you know. You can't bulk buy quick creep, people. Unless you own a construction company. Like the Hollies did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're using a lot of it all the time. Well, you know, when you're... Burying all the bodies. I was going to say that, but I was Allegedly. Be... <laughs> Allegedly. Seemingly has been my chosen word for some reason. When you're making... Seemingly. Case concrete. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> That's terrible. It really is allegedly. That's just one... That's, once again, that is one yeah, of those things. It's all it's circumstantial. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So in the Holly's actual home, police found safes with hundreds of stock certificates. And it showed it showed Phil Holly as the owner of the corkscrew property. So that was the property that Eric had owned, but also the property that his body was found on. Mm-hmm. So that was like hmm. super preemptive if it had just kind of, you know, gone through. Yeah. Sketch. Sketch E shit. Um, no weapon was ever found um, on either of the properties searched. I think they said something about a little derringer he held on his belt, mm-hmm. but it didn't. And they did take it and test it. It didn't match anything. Um, I think it was just like a like a power move, you know, by Phil Holly. I thought that was a very interesting a moment in in the podcast and when we listened to it mm-hmm. that that the uh the chief of police actually seen this Dillinger this little 22 Dillinger on Phil Holly's belt and it was like oh mm-hmm. wait what and I'm the other thing that. is if that possible and we, we know now that it's not the murder weapon mm-hmm. but if that was the murder weapon that is some serious balls to yeah. just wear Fuck that thing power. on your belt yeah yeah, I thought it was. I thought that was an interesting moment. Mm-hmm. Police were also not able to definitively prove that c- the cement found at the bureau was a match to the cement um, found on Eric's body. So, like we just said, it's all circumstantial. Sounds super familiar, doesn't it? Because they they stole his property right before he went missing. Duh, it's kind of shitty because the only reason no one in the Holly family was charged aside from not being able to point at like one specific person was because they were powerful and they had a lot of money and Mm -hmm. it was just a circumstantial case. But Jeff, on the other hand, 
just a just a kid, which I guess when they arrested him, he was a a more successful yeah, adult. adult. But he did have a little bit of crime under his belt, so it it just was shitty the way that they this didn't happen here, but over here that it did happen. Yeah, because of stature within community, essentially. Yeah, super annoying. Well, allegedly there was something with the judge. Yeah, we'll get into that. Okay. Um. So, I'm not saying like Phil did it or that Jeff did not. I'm just saying it's the judicial system's fucked. So, in police interviews, Phil and his sons again blanket statement. <laughs> I didn't want to get too deep. I didn't want more names. I was lots, not into it. Lots yeah. of names. Um. They denied any involvement and they quickly pointed fingers at the Detroit mob. Like I said earlier. You, he rumors about him owing scary people money or, you know, having issues with scary people. I think that was definitely the Hollies pushing that narrative, trying to deflect off of them, allegedly. So they did end up char- investigators did end up charging the Hollies with um, forgery and uh, like land theft. I don't know if that's the real name of it. So they obviously acquired the best lawyers they could find. Um, it was a high-profile case against a prominent family in Florida, and it overtook the media for the seven weeks that the trial went on. Seven weeks. It's a long freaking time. The Hollies lawyers got the circumstances of Eric's murder to be ruled inadmissible in the trial, which was kind of the main point of the initial investigation. They didn't find any of this until Eric's body was found, and they started, like, Looking into it, discovering that all the allegations they were facing were leading up to the disappearance and eventual murder of the very person they were scamming seems like it would need to be a or it could be a huge part of their case. The prosecution stole an FBI handwriting expert from the defense um, to confirm that Eric's signature was, in fact, fake. I think that. The defense had found him, and he just did not tell them what they wanted to hear. Yeah. And so the the prosecution took that over. Eric's secretary testified that she had met with Phil um, concerned about Eric's dealings. She trusted him and felt that he deserved to know about, like, that a lot of Eric's money and his ventures, money that is in his ventures was unaccounted for. So... Because she trusted, she trusted Phil. Yeah. So she thought he was his friend. Exactly. But well, didn't they go to church together too? Wasn't wasn't he part of her church? Though the secretary. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Nazarene. I thought did they, they were all, all part. go? To they the probably same did. I think they did, but it goes all the way to the top. The church is doing it. Church is the church is the cartel. It's the Pope. God. It's the fucking it's Pope. God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, So basically what that shows is that the Hollies knew shit was a little sideways. So that gave them, or Phil, I guess, even more motive to like just eliminate Eric Mm -hmm. to recover investments, cover up, you know, all their shit. So the state also had to prove that the Hollies were lying to police about knowing that Eric was running schemes, meaning that the money he was reporting was presumably fake and that they had obviously known that because of the meeting mm-hmm. with the secretary. Obviously, now the state had to prove that the Hollies were lying to police about knowing that Eric was running schemes, 
meaning the money he was reporting was presumably fake, and they obviously knew about that. So they had filed the quick claims deed to cover their investments. The prosecution had Barry Crow, who had witnessed the quick quick claims deed. I always say click, click claims deed. Um, police had caught him up kind of just in a shitty situation, and he decided, I'm just, I'm going to help the cops. Um, he wore a wire when with the Hollies, and nothing on Eric's death came up, but they did get some incriminating evidence, like, on the forgeries. So, in 1992, the Holly men, again, I don't know how many. There might have been four. <laughs> there might be three. The Holly men. <laughs> I know you know how many. <laughs> I, no, I really don't. Oh, okay, I good. I think there was three sons. That's in, what I think too. In and Phil, part of this particular investigation, plus Phil. So yeah, I think that's right. But okay, in 1992, the Holly men were found guilty and sentenced. The judge gave out like crazy lenient sentences, though, um, with the charges that they were not facing. Con- they were convicted of. They were looking at a minimum of two and a half to five years, like for separate charges, Mm -hmm. to a max of 30 years. So they would presumably go away for like 15 years each, you would think, because there's multiple charges and they were found guilty on multiple charges. You'd think, yeah. Yes. So they, they received some jail time, but they were able to serve on weekends (laughs) that's some rich fucking white dude shit isn't it (laughs) so they were able to serve their sentences on weekends and they were still let off early even with like their probation they got off of probation early some believe that the judge had ties to the hollies and that's what prompted and it was interesting because the judge was an old retired judge that they brought back. Yeah, because yeah. everybody knew who they yeah. were. Yeah. So you would think that that's they spent all that time trying to find a judge who could proceed over this, and they end up with the old retired guy. And now money talks. I don't know, man. That's, that's all I gotta insane. say. Or he's an old family friend. Or... Just, the connections in all of this story is just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. It it is everything touches everything. Everything. Delia found in her research a car that had driven into the water near Sanibel Island. Been there. It's beautiful, by the way. Um, This happened in the late 70s, long before anything with any of these cases had, had even been thought of. Well, I guess maybe they had been thought of, but the name on the registration for the car was Harry Stewart. The police did not find a body. And one day after the car was found, Harry's landlord called the police. He allowed the police to search the apartment that he was leasing to Harry. And they found some odd shit like nothing in the apartment. And that also like the mail was at least a year old. And um, a year later, the beneficiary for Harry's life insurance policy was calling insurance companies trying to receive their benefits from his death. Insurance investigators were inquiring with the police to see, like, hey, is this dude really dead? Did you find a body? People want their money. Um, And we all know who the beneficiary was. You can say it, Jeremy. It's Phil Holly. (laughs) But not only was he the beneficiary of the life insurance policy, he he was was also also the landlord. landlord. Yes. (laughs) Um, Is that weird or is that just me? (laughs) 
He had uh, not one but three separate policies on Harry, totaling over $80,000. An agent in Cape Coral had prepared one of the policies, and uh, they had inquired him about it, and he conveniently didn't remember anything, and neither did Phil Holly again, conveniently. Little did they know, the FBI was already looking into this Harry Stewart, who was actually, who knows... That's right, a dead baby. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, how how long before? Oh, I don't even know. Like in the twenties or something. Yeah, it wasn't was, it crazy? It was a it was long, a, long it was time. Old. Yeah. In the June before the car crashed into the water, someone using Harry's name applied for a passport in Florida. They flagged the ID, but nothing came of it. When comparing the photo of the man who applied for the passport to a photo of Robert Pelly, the similarities are stupid. I think even one of the daughters, didn't even one of the daughters say, like, that the similarities were... Yeah, yeah. I just don't I can't, remember. It might have been both daughters. I can't remember. Yeah, I just don't remember which one it was. Yeah. So the purpose of the trip recorded for this, you know, Harry applying for a passport was a six-week vacation to South America. Now, Robert Pelly took a six-week vacation to South America that year. We can all guess now that before this happened, Phil Holly had founded a passport application service company. Duh. Mm-hmm. So now we know, thanks to Delia, Counterclock, and all their investigative journalism, that Eric Dawson had shady investment dealings. All of his dealings went through Robert Pelly's computer. Eric and Robert both had strong ties with the Hollies. Phil Holly's a sketchy dude. And Eric and Robert both came up dead. And then you add in the connection with Harry, Robert, and Phil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a cyclone of connections. You couldn't write a better... No. No, I would be like, this is so unbelievable. They they need to, like, rework this. It's this, insane. This could be a movie. It oh, literally sure. could. Is it a movie? It should be. Oh, it's going to be. It's got to be. We're going to write it. I'm not going to write it. Gunner wants to make Gunner, films. Yep, Gunner, we go. need you. <laughs> I'll play the secretary that snitches. <laughs> you can wear the wire. I don't want to wear the wire. I get nervous. <laughs> you should be Phil Holly. Oh, I could be a good Phil Holly. Mm-hmm. You think? Yeah. Put that Derringer on your belt. I would, walk around like you're shit cowboy, don't In my cowboy boots. Hell yeah, in Florida. In Florida. <laughs> Florida. So now we're going to go back to the Pelly murders. One of the main pieces of evidence was clothes that the police supposedly pulled from the washing machine. So this is a point of contention with Fran Watson, which is Jeff's post-conviction lawyer. Uh, Does she work for the Innocence Project out of Indiana? Yeah, down. I think she does. Okay. That girl girl is badass. Mm -hmm. I know. When she's talking about um, Jeff and she's like, he was a a styler. He he thought he was a styler with this mullet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's like, she's so funny. I bet she's fun to talk to. Um, so Fran believes that the investigation in 89 was clearly targeted at Jeff from the start, like we all we all know. Oh, for sure. Um, but then 
when they put the evidence into storage, it wasn't like labeled very well. It was just kind of thrown in there. And I think especially if it didn't point to Jeff, that was the case. Mm-hmm. Fran is convinced that when they got the evidence back out of storage in 2001, that investigators just assumed all of these or just assumed that the genes that they had found in a grocery bag had come out of the washer in the initial investigation. So they basically would have had to take wet pants because they found them in the washing machine and said that they had been washed, wet pants out of the washer and then put them into a used grocery bag. Yeah. So plus there was no documentation of anything coming out of the washing washing machine. And if in the initial investigation they found wet, freshly washed clothes in the washer – Fran says, like, they would have had him right right from the get-go. They would have documented it, and they would have arrested him, right? But, no, this came around when they pulled everything out in 01. So in the original trial, they seemed to have kind of, like, misled the jury when they were presenting the genes and the, the photos, I guess, like, the position of them kind of made it so they wouldn't question any of the issues behind them, like we can talk about, like, the coins. He had a pocket full of coins. They were all still in the pocket. And, I mean, I've washed pants before, and you find pennies and shit at the bottom of your yeah. washing machine. Yeah, Like, they, they come out. out. Witnesses saw Jeff in the outfit that they're claiming that was in, or I guess just the jeans, which people own more than one pair of jeans. Like, I get that. But witnesses saw him in those jeans. Um, there was also a receipt in that bag from, like, the day of... The murders Mm -hmm. and the receipt was like dry. None of the ink was blood. So if there were wet jeans in this bag, you would think that this receipt would be wet. Yeah. Okay. So this the jeans probably did were in that bag and they found those in the trunk of his car, I would assume, because they were the jeans that he changed out of to put his tux on when he went to prom. Yes. So I think that those were probably with him and confiscated from his car. So, um. The police also found water droplets in the shower and some damp cloths in the bathroom. Lead detective uh, Bowditch was saying in 89 that this proves that Jeff cleaned himself up after he murdered his family. But now he's saying that he believes Jeff would would not have been close enough to have any blood or brain matter on him. But then he also says that he would not have a lot on him. So he's trying to, one, save face because the evidence in his statements from 89 aren't, like, lining up. And or, two, be as vague as possible to try not to say anything too specific or solid because he says first he had it on him and he cleaned it off and then none at all. And now he says, like, not a lot. Like, which Mm -hmm. is it? You know, what's going on? So much of this and more was heard at the evidentiary hearing that was held earlier this month. I think it lasted, what, like four or five days Something like that. I'm not sure. I don't know. With his defense lawyer, Fran Watson, Jeff has a glimmer of hope. She wanted to prove that four things happened um, that were in violation of his rights. So his right to a speedy trial, Mm -hmm. um, that he had ineffective assistance, that there was um, some uh, prosecutorial. Is that right? Prosecutorial? Sounds right. Feels right. Um, Misconduct. And then, of course, all of the new evidence that's come to light in the recent past. Judge Stephanie Steele has to decide if these things occurred. They think they get, like, what, like six months or a year to try someone after a charge is made. And they went, like, way over that by years. I think it might depend on your charge, too, 
like how long there's no statute of limitations for for murder. murder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But once you're charged, they still have a specific time frame. Yeah. Didn't they actually wait four years? Is that what I read? It was like four years after he was arrested in oh two and then tried in oh six. Yeah, I think you're right. So um, the prosecution argues that Jeff's counsel was aware of the delays. So the time frames kind of skewed and they're saying, well, it doesn't impede on his right to a speedy trial because his counsel oh, basically so approved it. it. Yeah. But she also asked to decide if he had ineffective counsel. So if she decides that, well, your lawyers were incompetent, I think the lack of a speedy trial is like kind of a guarantee. Yeah, hand in hand. Because it doesn't matter if they knew they weren't doing a good job. Even though Jeff's lawyers at the time, Andrew Gamich and Alan Baum, knew a bit about, like, Je- um, Jeff, about <laughs> Robert's sketchy Florida connections and they also knew about the guns possibly not being present at the time of murder. Ultimately, these things were ruled inadmissible in court. I don't think at the time these two things were too concerning. One, because of the lack of physical evidence. They didn't really think that they had a case. Yeah. And um, two, I guess that maybe his lawyers thought that it would reflect badly on Jeff considering the reason for the removal of the guns. So, cause he had threatened suicide, which is why Robert immediately pulled all the guns from the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, the lead attorney, Alan Baum made a good point also saying that like bringing up Robert's past in Florida, he would be essentially like kind of victim blaming a little bit. Yeah. And that wouldn't have looked great to a jury either. And looking back now, these are like keystones for this case. But like you see, the defense always has it tough. Like the prosecution always has upper hand because they get everything. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, which I thought this was extra shitty because if it were present, it would be the only piece of physical evidence pointing to Jeff being the murderer. But the defense could not talk about the lack of presence of bruising on his shoulder like, why Why wouldn't they be able to talk about that? That's, like, actual hard physical evidence pointing away from him, which is better than any circumstantial evidence pointing, like, to him, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah, because they talked about the fact that if he actually shot that 20-gauge shotgun, that it would bruise his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He was shrimpy. That, the, yeah. that was Delia's exact words. He yep. was shrimpy. Yeah. And he was scrawny. You see pictures of him. So, and he shot it. Six times. Six times, yeah. Yeah, because we were talking about that in part one, and I was like, I think it was only four. And you're like, I think it was five. It was six. It was six, yeah. Mm -hmm. At the time, Indiana police and Florida police hadn't made any connection between the Pelly family and the Holly family, but that obviously would have been helpful as well. In the evidentiary hearing last month, March, uh, Gamich said that he thought Baum maybe was a little more interested in like the publicity than actually defending Jeff. So he was based out of state, I think, was it California? I think he's based in California. And um, he barely came to Indiana and supposedly even took a vacation to Italy during the, like, the trial. Or not, probably not the trial. I don't remember hearing about that. Yeah. I know that they, that, that his co- Hedzada. <laughs> He did. <laughs> I know his 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 uh, partner there said that he would, thought he was more into the fifteen minutes of fame. Oh yeah, than he for cared sure. about the case. What a joke! 
But, yeah. But he seemed like he was sad about it. Like, I think he he thinks Jeff oh, is innocent, and he yeah. still does to this day. So. And he actually admits that he did a... I, I stepped on your... I stepped on it, didn't I? No, no, you're fine. Oh. I wheezed, and so oh. I was like, you can keep talking. It's fine. Just leave it in. He uh, actually admitted that he thought he... In hindsight, he could have done a better job. And oh, he, yeah. yeah. And he even said, like... um, you know, I would be very surprised if they didn't, you know, go for ineffective counsel and all that. You got to play all your cards when you're yep. in a post-conviction. So um, he just I just don't think he expected to lose. So I think that's why he didn't seem to be very invested or trying hard. He was just like, hey, like I can get my name out there. This is a really public case. Blah, blah. It's I'm going to win. Well, I mean, no big deal. think about it for a second. Lack of evidence. Mm-hmm. Timeline. Mm-hmm. You mean that's almost a slam dunk? Yeah, really. But was yeah. it? No, it was not. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to get into Tony Beeler. She came forward in 2003 after hearing that Jeff had been arrested. This woman, you guys—I know you guys listened to the recording. She was like getting really emotional. Like I got a little emotional just listening to it. She was interviewed by um, a St. Joseph County investigator named Timothy Decker. Her interview was 25 minutes long, and she says she could tell, like, he didn't believe her or he wasn't taking what she was saying very seriously. So in the initial interview, she tells Decker that in early 1989, she was tasked to photograph the members of the Olive Branch Church. She did this often as the company that she worked for makes directories for churches. I don't know what those are, like pamphlets or Promotional yeah, they're just like stuff. they're just like little booklets that uh, talk about the, the not like and a the not like a Newsweek type like no, weekly no, that, thing. Just no, one. I'm pretty sure it's like okay one that I don't know. Does it go out to other churches or that that whole section of that? And we'll talk about this in our discussion part mm-hmm. of it. But the whole thing's a little sketchy to me. I'm, I'm a little unsure of about Tony. I'll, I'll talk about that okay. A little bit. Okay. When she showed up to the church to take her photographs, Robert pulled her aside and told her that she couldn't do a directory for this this specific church. He told her that in his past he had um like he had worked in finance outside of Indiana and that quote people were looking for him and if those people found him they would kill him and his wife and his kids and even their family pets and that no one would ever know who did it. He explained to her that he didn't kill anybody or anything because uh, she said that she flat out asked him if he was, like, killing people and that's why they were looking for him. But he told her no. He worked with scary people's money and then fled to Indiana to hide out. In another interview recorded in 2007, she says that Robert was, quote, matter of fact. He was looking at me through his glasses, standing there with his hand on the Bible, and he wanted me to know that this was the most sincere thing he ever said. That's when she started to get, like, really emotional. Yeah. Yeah. So after having this conversation, she obviously didn't want to do the directory. Like, he scared her. She was genuinely worried for him and his family. Like, she believed him. She spoke to her company, but I guess the church elders, which is really old school and creepy and scary. um, (laughs) But they had already voted to, like, do this directory. So she took her photos, and the directory was released later that year, just weeks before the murders. Yeah. At the end of her interview, Decker told Tony that he would be in touch, and then she never heard from him again. So, okay, help me out here. I know 
that you two are hyper familiar with this case. <laughs> so More Dahlia- Jeremy than me. What? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Dahlia says that she was interviewed in 2007 with Gary Dunn. Do you know like what prompted that interview? Was it the podcast or do you know why they re-interviewed her in 2007? I do not. Um, pro- probably, probably because Decker was the original, the original officer that interviewed her, mm-hmm. and I, th- um, I would assume that. See, no, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know yeah. why she'd be re-interviewed in 07. I would think yeah, she'd be re-interviewed. Yeah, because it's post-conviction. Yeah. But maybe they found out – well, because the prosecution, like, knew about this interview and its contents, obviously, because the police and the prosecution work very closely. And they claim that they sent it over to the defense in a memo in 2003, but the defense never received it. And there was, like, a bunch of stuff about the document not being dated, so it kind of felt like they were going – they are backtracking and covering their tracks. So I'm wondering if the defense found out about it pretty soon after he was convicted and then wanted to maybe do their own interview but i think gary dunn was an investigator so that still doesn't make sense yeah i'm I'm not i'm not 100 percent sure on that yeah me neither okay didn't she change her phone number and stuff oh tony tony not that i'm aware of maybe i'm getting my cases mixed up i thought like after she changed her phone number and all kinds of shit I don't think so. I I don't remember reading or hearing anything about that. I I could be wrong. I listen to a lot of true crime (laughs) content, so sometimes I get them like crossed over. No, I do too. That's why you. That's why you get that blank look on my face. Is like, was that? (laughs) Let me piece this together. Yeah, were there leaves in the bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) No leaves in the bathroom. Um, Okay, so if the prosecution willingly like withheld this information, what's it called, Alicia? When the prosecution doesn't give the defense all of the evidence that they should. I don't know. You do know you're going to kick yourself when I say it. A Brady violation. I don't know that. You don't know that? No. Oh, my God. Making a murderer? Where have you been? Oh, I only watched the first season like years ago. Yeah, that's a good one. If the defense would have known this, Robert's past in Florida might not have been considered inadmissible because it backs, you know, it backs it up that it might be linked. Mm-hmm. So imagine if the jury heard this testimony. Tony is like an unbiased outside source. It's like literally the best yeah. like witness or testimony you can find. Everything else aside, it just presents reasonable doubt as if there wasn't any before, but more. And then also kind of misrepresenting the genes to the jury is also a Brady violation as well. So now what's cool is that we basically have a look into all the things that were just like off during the investigation and Counterclock worked really closely with Jeff's team and even showed them a thing or two which we'll talk about in our discussion. Now, what is cool is that we basically have a look into all the things that were just off during this investigation. Counterclock worked very closely with Jeff's team and even showed them a thing or two which we'll discuss in our uh, like discussion panel next time. Um, Delia says that as soon as Phil Holly, who had been a close ally of Jeff's since day one, found out that Fran had been damning his family in the case, he had stopped communications with Jeff, which is understandable either way, whether yeah. he did it or not. But I wonder what Jeff's wife thinks, because she's a Holly. And I know that they did that 
hospital scheme, which I think is what prompted the cops to kind of pull the case back to the surface. So like her mother, he was trying to borrow money for God only knows what, and he gave a fake hospital number to the guy who was trying to borrow money from because he was trying to like, you know, I guess give him proof. And like her, his wife's mother, I think his wife's name's Lisa, was answering the phone pretending to be a, a desk person at the hospital and... Yeah, he was he was attempting to get his inheritance and, and yeah yeah and um, Dawn's father was is the trustee over top of that and and I think that's really important to to speak about because he wasn't trying to steal money exactly he was trying to get his money and his I don't know what you call him his step grandfather didn't want to yeah. give it to him yeah which is. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of weird to really well, put that in that perspective because I think that anybody who was really just you know skimming across the top of that would it looks re- sketchy. Yeah, it does yeah. look sketchy. But he and even Jackie mentioned that in an interview that she said he's not trying to steal my money. He was not trying to steal mm-hmm. uh, Jessica's money. Yeah, he's he trying, to get, trying to get his, his own money. money. Yeah. And she even said the trustees weren't playing by the rules either. Right. So, you know, he was kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And she did make a point to say she wasn't, like, condoning what he did. Obviously, no, that's no, wrong. It, but... No, yeah, he, he definitely did some sort of fraud. I mean, yes. you can't come up with an invoice or a doctor's bill and to turn it in and then have a fake phone number that, you yeah, know, goes exactly. to the mother-in-law. I mean, the whole thing is, is sketch, but... Wait, did you say that Jeff is married to a Holly? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Phil's niece or something. Yeah, something along those lines. So, he probably was doing this because they seem to be scam artists, too, just the same, so he had Oh, yeah, I definitely source. have that. We will get... We How will did I definitely, miss that when I listen to We will to definitely get into uh, one of my thoughts in our discussion when it comes to all that. Yeah, because, I mean, for one, he had to learn it somewhere. Robert got all tied up in everything, and then now he's all tied up in it. It's like... It's so obvious that where the sketchy pinpoint is located, (laughs) you know. Where's the common denominator? Mm Mm-hmm. This case is tough, and I can't believe that a jury convicted Jeff. I think the only reason other than – I don't know. The only reason is there was like – he was the only face – linked to this crime Mm -hmm. and he was young and he was maybe a little cocky i don't know but they like they needed to put somebody away so like they could sleep at night yeah oh yeah and that's a common thing that you see predominantly yeah if there had been another face next to his i think they i mean they wouldn't they would not have been able to convict him if there was anything else well and him being away you know there's that chunk of time quote unquote that he can't be accountable for yeah when, 20 minutes yeah and hypothetically you know jessica's accountable accounted for mm-hmm. jackie's accounted for quote unquote but i think he's accounted for just as much as they are yeah he had to like drive and yeah yeah well they're all of his friends mm-hmm. were, saw him and uh, i don't know yeah so today, the circumstantial evidence is for and against all parties involved, I think. For me, at this point where it stands, like, I'm happy that Jeff's team and the case, like, have the eyes that they've, like, fought so hard for, for fucking Jesus, so many years. Um, I'm still on the fence about his innocence. My 
Fran Watson is 100% behind him. Like, she is like, he did not do this. And my heart wants to say that he didn't. But I'm I'm leaning over to that side for sure. Like, I, I don't know that I think – I don't – I don't want to say I don't think he did it because it's still a possibility. There was just too much shady shit surrounding all of the adults that are involved in this story. You can't mm-hmm. ignore that. But there's also the side that if it wasn't Jeff – the actual perpetrator or perpetrators picked how would they have been able to pick that literal perfect time down to the minute to kill the Pellies? I just don't know if that's possible. But I I mean stranger things have happened. I have a theory on that too. Oh yeah? Yep. And we will talk about it in our discussion. Okay. <laughs> um if Jeff did like plan it like the cops keep saying, he might have had no clothes on when he killed them. And that's why I'm just, <laughs> don't picture it. <laughs> I'm just saying that might be why, you know, the whole washing machine thing, all that shit, like they want to back that maybe he would just had his underwear on. That's a reach. Well, I know it's a reach. Let me find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it'd be really easy to ditch a gun in Lakeville, especially if you're a teenager who has like, you probably could be, you remember Kenilworth Street? Mm-hmm. There was not a house. There was a whole block, country block. It was just trees. There were no houses on this road. And we would just drive out there and do not smoke weed for sure and play hacky sack. Yeah, for and sure. And we would we be did out there not forever. Do that, not even once. <laughs> we did not smoke weed. We didn't smoke weed, but we did play a lot of hacky sack and have a lot of really deep conversations mm-hmm. that one may have when they are under the influence of marijuana. <laughs> But that wasn't that wasn't what, the case. That's here. not no 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 no. no, 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 no. no. That no. was not the case. Just like minded people, just, just hack sacking around. Just hey, sack hacking, hack sacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pretty open minded person. You know that. So, and I believe that to be like a good personality trait of mine. But unfortunately, my mind's usually just in the gray area, so I can't make up make a decision on things because I can see. You know, both sides. But mm-hmm. I definitely, I know I'm not alone when it comes to this case. I'm going to save everything else for discussion. So that does conclude uh, this section or part, part two. Um, thank you guys for powering through this with me. I know it was a lot. And I know I do that. I choose stories that I am a little too inexperienced to tell. But you got to strike while the iron's hot. And I don't know, go, go big or go home, right? The only way I'm going to improve is to, like, stretch my abilities and push what I know I can accomplish. So I hope all you murd nerds out there can help and improve and grow with us. Right. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Love you guys. That's and you too. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to let – we're going to – we're not going to have our post-case dis- discussion right now. We're going to – let Alicia read you our socials, and then we're going to pick this up in another episode. Part three. Motherfuckers. So the links and social media for all of our podcasts, that includes Golden Image Podcast, um, The Call Guys, and the United States of Paranormal, uh, will be within our show notes and on our social media pages. So if you want to support a small podcast network, this is your best opportunity. Um, the more support we get, the better the content. And if you have anything you want to tell us, 
feel free to either contact us on our social medias, which are all Murd Nerds. We're on Twitter, Facebook. Um, face, uh, I said Facebook. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> um, or you can email us at our email address, which is MurdNerds at Gmail. Um, if you'd rather be anonymous with your opinions or with anything that you want to say, if you go on our social media, there is a link tree, click-through link that you can go to. And at the top of the page, there is um, a little survey that you can fill out, and it's completely anonymous. Don't forget to subscribe to us anywhere that you enjoy listening to podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, um, feel free to rate and review We definitely kind of watch them and see Mm -hmm. what we need to improve on. Leave a review. Mm -hmm. If you want to give us a a one star, that's fine. But just tell tell us us why. why. Yeah. And same for Spotify. Yeah. Spotify, uh, you can rate. You can't review yet. Mm. You can rate. Um, This is the best and easiest way to help support us here at Murder Nerds. Um, And it's free. It's totally free to Mm -hmm. tell us how we're doing. And if you would like to help monetarily, you can pledge a monthly donation of $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99 directly um, through those. There's a little link in the show notes, or you can go to the link tree. Um, And this helps us with, you know, anything that we can need to get here in the studio. It helps us... um, to pay artists if we want to do more merchandise, which we have a lot of ideas planned. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it definitely helps. And right now we have three super awesome contributors, Logan, Matt, and Boz over at the United States of Paranormal, our partners. How sweet of them. That's, that's Thank awesome. you. I love them. They're so, so freaking sweet. For Go listen us. to that. It's It's awesome. Yeah, they do a great job. So, all right. We'll see you over at uh, episode... Three, I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) For our discussion, and there's going to be some information that I'm sure Jeremy's going to drop in. Oh, yeah. I know he's got a lot brewing up there. Because that was kind of like a SparkNotes version of the case itself. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got some some shit to bring home. Yeah, I can't wait. All righty. See you in two weeks. It'll be two weeks when this... Yeah, when the the discussion drops. The part three drops. Yep. All right. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Bye.